0: Welcome back to Christian Life Academy. We are in chapter 31, which has uh, the distinction of having the longest title of any of the chapters in the confession, uh, but it also um, is uh, a a chapter as we get closer to the end. Obviously, we've been seeing this more and more. They're they are actually things that are more present for us. And um, I should just say that, of course, The chapter's title is Of the State of Man After Death and of the Resurrection of the Dead. So, a very succinct and short title, not a very long title to cover this, but it's basically about what happens when you die. I mean, that's what this chapter essentially is. And then the next chapter, uh, the last chapter of the Confession, uh, will basically be covering uh, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, What is God's plan for the conclusion of uh, the earth? And so uh, he, he has a plan. So we're going to talk about those things. But the reason that I say that they're uh, things that are closer to us, um, it, and that's because, of course, we just talked about baptism and communion, the ordinances uh, which we partake of. Uh, we talked about the church. We've talked about a lot of things that are uh, things that we deal with, are involved with, or uh, basically things that are part of our everyday lives. Now, Obviously, of the scriptures in the very beginning, uh, we talk about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, all these things are definitely a part, right? They should be. Uh, but they're more ethereal to some extent. When we get toward the end of the confession, it's getting a closer to something being a little more practical. And so that is, that's what we have to consider as we talk about this chapter, because this is a subject that every single human contemplates. Everyone contemplates, what happens when I die? What happens when someone else dies? Uh, Even as children, when somebody dies, uh, they don't understand what happens. Where, Where are they now? What happened to them? And of course, you know what our answer is typically, all right, they're not here anymore. They're not in that body anymore, right? And this is true for the unbeliever and the believer. There is a recognition that... It's not like your 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 uh heart stops, your brain waves stop, your blood stops pulsing, your lungs quit breathing and we somehow think you're still there. Just you can't respond, but you can hear us somehow. We don't think that. So, it is a major subject. Look, you all know people that have died. Right? I mean, As early as you can almost remember, you can probably remember somebody who is now gone. They're not here anymore. So we contemplate death. We contemplate what happens after death. And that's one of the greatest assurances as believers that we have. That we believe we know clearly from the scripture what happens after you die. That there is a separation of the physical body and the spirit, the soul. That there is a place where the soul will go. That there will eventually be a reunification of the body with the spirit in an improved state, not its decomposed state. And that is hope. That is hope. Even man who does not believe in Christianity, does not believe, sometimes they'll claim they don't believe in God, They still have this fear, and the fear of death is very real. What if I'm wrong? What if there is a God? He's not going to be happy with me. Or, did I do enough good? Right, that's what most think. Did I do enough good to overcome the evil? What's the answer to that? No. No, you didn't. So, this is a very real subject for us. It's a subject that um, matters. It's a subject that we should know. And frankly, it's a subject that's not preached about enough. It's just not. Look, we could, we could stand here, I could stand here, you could, I could ask you to give me input, and you could shout them out, and we could talk about all the, the different concepts and things in Scripture that you don't hear regularly preached. Isn't that true? It is true. Now, I want you to think about this. For most people, most people that attend church regularly, how often do they go? Once a week. Would you say that that's a fair assessment? Most do not go on Wednesday night. They don't go to a midweek service. They don't go to a Sunday school. They don't go to an evening service. They go to Sunday morning service. That's it. That's the vast majority of those that claim to be Christians do this. And in fact, most people who don't claim to be Christians but who claim to be religious, it's the same for them. They go to synagogue once a week. They go to whatever their religious temple is, usually once a week. So... Let's not even talk about Judaism and how long those services are, but let's talk about a typical Christian service. How much preaching do you get? An hour? Maybe. That's long. I mean, most people at a half hour, they start getting antsy. We get about 45, 50 minutes. I mean, I don't know if you look at the clock, but that's generally where Brantz is, 45, 50 minutes or so. That's once a week. So you've got 45 or 50 hours in a year. How big is the scripture? How many books can you cover in a year if you cover every book on a Sunday? One book per Sunday. Think about this. Brantz is doing this on Wednesday nights. Psalms, way too big to cover on a Wednesday night. Right? had to break it down a little bit. You'd be lucky to have the summary of one book of the Bible every Sunday for a year. And that's just an overview. That's a survey. How many Sundays can you talk about Christ? How about creation? How about the resurrection? How about Christ's teaching on how we are to live? How about all the stuff that's going on in the world and what our response should be? You see what I mean. You can spend a lifetime of Sunday morning worship services without hearing every doctrine and concept from the Bible, can't you? And I'm not talking about the really, you know, stuff you don't ever know about and you never heard about. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff you've heard about. Now, a lot of preachers... Will preach exegetically. What does that mean? They take up a, a passage, usually it would be a longer passage or a book, and they preach through the passage. Are you with me on this? So Brance is doing this on Sunday mornings, isn't he? Right now, what's he covering? Second Timothy. Good. Some popular. <laughs> it's Second Timothy. It's good, Brant. <laughs> he's in chapter two. So he's covering Second Timothy. Now, do you know how many. Messages that's going to be in the end? Yeah. I have no idea. Okay, there you go. So, how do you not cover the whole book when there's tidbits and lessons and things in there that we should cover? I mean, there's, there's no question. There is a place for topical preaching. There is, and there is a place for exegetical preaching. You need both. Look, a catastrophe happens. Does it not make sense that you would hear messages on addressing the catastrophe or suffering or sovereignty of God? Of course, right? You would hear these things, and this would make sense because this is what the people need. This is what they're struggling with. Likewise, if Brant, let's say next week, some issue comes up, and he knows that people in the, his body, his flock, are suffering from this particular issue. This is going on, and it's a problem, and he's not, they're not sure how to deal with it. And he knows that they're hurting. He could change his message and preach on that, right? And, and in fact, don't you want him to be able to do that? Yeah. You can go for a long, long period of time and never hear things preached about. And this is one of them. This is one of them. Now, we know what we think. We know the basics. Right? You, you can't hear the gospel without bringing heaven or hell or what happens after you die into it. I mean, that's part of the gospel. Right? I mean, Think about that for a second. If you're telling somebody the gospel about why Christ came to the earth and why his sacrifice on the cross, his death on the cross, even though he did not sin, did nothing wrong. In fact, he's God. Takes on the pain and suffering, dies himself on the cross for, what does he say? What does the scripture say? Continuously. Our sins died in our place, paid the price for our sins that we should have paid in our human flesh. So here's the question. When you die, if you just cease to exist, if there is no heaven, and more importantly, there is no hell, why would he need to die? Why do you need to be saved from your sins? Saved from what? Hell! Part of the gospel is the realization that you have done something wrong. We all know it. We all know we have. We've done something wrong, and there's going to be a price to pay. God will hold us accountable for that. Now? No. No. You could pay the consequences of sin now, but again, so? Have you ever seen anybody that does something wrong and they never get caught? Yeah, all the time. Guess, you want you, know, you say, well, I'm not sure if I've seen anybody done anything wrong and didn't get caught. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. You're not paying the consequences for your sin now. You'd be dead. What we're concerned about is when God is going to enact his justice on us, which is going to be for eternity. It's going to be in hell. And that's what we're worried about. And that's what the gospel is about. Christ came, sacrificed himself for our sins so that if we believe on him, if we place our trust in him, we turn to him, we turn away from our sins and we turn toward him that we would be saved from hell. So everyone who's a believer has already heard this part of the gospel. And here's what we know. We're saved from punishment. We're going to go to heaven. What's heaven? Well, we've all seen the movies. We know what heaven is. We think. Have you heard messages on heaven? Think about it. Have you? This is not a critical thing. Have you? Maybe. Maybe not. And if it was a message on heaven, was it one? You think heaven's got more than we could cover in one message? Is there more in the scripture that tells us about heaven than one message? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're doing it. <laughs> We're going to be doing it. It's important for us to look at these things and for us to understand these things. And this is, heaven is probably as good a subject as any for us to recognize that our belief on something that God speaks to should be based on what God says and not what the culture says. It should be based on what the scriptures say, what the Bible tells us, and not based on what somebody put in a movie or in a book or in a poem or in a song or whatever. Now, if they base their song, poem, book, movie, whatever, play, whatever, if they put that, bake that, based on the scripture, well, it's probably closer. But as soon as they add anything, it's not what the scripture says. It's their assumption. Now, we're going, to get, we're going to get into today and next week talking about what heaven is. Now we're talking about what death is. We're going to talk about what heaven is. And here's what I want you to keep in mind. We don't know everything. Okay? We don't know everything. Now, if you can count on your hands, just if you if you can count on your hands more than how many you can fit on your hands, more than 5 people that you know who have died that after they were di- dead for a while, I don't mean like they were, you know, in the hospital and they were popping their heart or anything like that, popping their heart doesn't sound right. Anyway. People that were dead a couple days later, they came back to life and you talked to them. Anybody more than 5 people that you know. Ah, nobody more than 5 people. There's only a few examples. There's only a few. And where do we find them? In the scripture. Who's the first one you can think of? Go ahead. don't have to be in chronological order here. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. Good answer. Reappeared many times. Continued teaching. Challenged. Commanded. Did a number of things, which tell us something about our glorified bodies. We'll look at those things. Who else? Lazarus. Remember? Friend of Jesus. Called back from the dead. Do we have a record of what Lazarus said heaven was like? Nope. Do we? No, he didn't speak to it. It's not recorded. You know, what? I'm sure he spoke to it. (laughs) How could you not? How could that not be the lead-off question for that guy? From then on, what happened? What was it like? Right? Not in the scripture. Why? God didn't think you needed to know, and He would be right. So, where do we turn for our information about what happens after you die? To the scripture. Christ spoke extensively about what was going to happen to believers after they die and what would happen to the wicked after they died. It's not the only place. We see it throughout scriptures. David wrote quite a bit about it in the Psalms. See it there. We see when the veil is pulled back and we get a glimpse of something that's happening in heaven or in hell. Job just covered by brands on Wednesday night. We see God talking with Satan. Peel back, we get a glimpse. We see in Revelation John getting visions from God of what's happening at the throne of God. The believers gathered around the throne. We get a glimpse. Stephen sees God sitting on his throne, gets a glimpse before he's stoned to death. A number of things in the scripture where we see men who've gotten a glimpse of one or some part of heaven. And it's revealed to us. That's how we base what we know on heaven and hell. It's not based on opinion, it's not based on theoretical possibilities, it's based on what it says there. Now, do we know everything? I already said this, no, we don't know everything. We don't know everything. Okay, let me give you an example, All right. So, are you familiar with the story of the missionaries who went to the Aka Indians, Jim Elliott and others, who went to the Aka Indians, this Indian tribe, and were trying to reach them, to share the gospel with them, and they ended up getting killed. Uh, killed by the river, there's a very good uh, movie on this, done well, I think. Uh, tip of the Spear? What is it? End of the Spear? Is the, is the book, yeah, oh yeah, okay, that's right, that's right, okay. So, let me tell you what they tell, what they show in the movie, Again, I just explained, right? This is a movie, so this isn't scripture. Are you with me on that? But what they show in the movie is what one of the natives who was there, who actually helped kill them and repented, later said, what happened? They saw angels take them to heaven. is that what happened? We don't know. We don't know. Did God give those murderers a glimpse to convict them? Work for him. A number of them got saved by the way, became strong believers. Some committed suicide. They knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. Is that what really happened? It might be. We don't know. At the moment of death, do angels escort your soul to your destination? Or do you just appear there? Is there a gate to heaven with Peter at the gate with a big book to check you in to see if you're on the list? No. <laughs> we know that. not. doesn't have a duty as a gatekeeper from then on. But what happens exactly? We don't know. And let me just ask you. Do you wish you knew? If you're, if you're honest you'll have to say yes because you'd like to know what to expect. We we don't need to fill a lot of time in the class talking about it, but look, some of you may have had some experiences, I have, with others who are dying and things they said they saw. Was it true? I can't prove it. I don't know. So there's a popular book called Heaven, Randy Alcorn. If you haven't read the book, I would say you could read it. I don't control what you read. You could read it. And if you haven't read it, don't be too quick to criticize it because his preface of the book says what you need to know. We don't know a lot. I'm going to lay out what the Scripture says, and then I'm going to give you some things to think about that this is what it could be like. His whole assumption is is that heaven's going to be a wonderful place. He doesn't think we're floating on clouds. And we're not, because the Scripture contradicts that. But let me ask you a question. Are you going to have your favorite pet in heaven? Don't be too quick to answer, because you don't know. You don't know. Could it be that God will bring back for your enjoyment a favorite pet who now can talk to you? Well, animals can't talk. Really? Remember the Bible? <laughs> animals talked in the Bible. Twice. I not have to think of it off the top of my head. Two different kinds of animals. Do they have the same intellect that we do? No. Do they have souls? No. Are they made in God's image? No. Agree? Will there be animals in heaven? Hmm. Yes. Because we have references to it. Hmm. You might not have realized that, but we do. We do. Here's my point. Heaven is a big subject. Don't get your knowledge on this subject from pop culture, from entertainment, from fiction. Start with the scripture. Go from there. Does that make sense? Understand the basics. And the basics. If somebody says, well, I think that when we die, this is going to happen. If you understand the basics of death and what's going to happen when you die, you can respond to that. Right? You could say, that's not what God says. Be careful to quote scripture. What do you mean, Brian? Here's what I mean. We are now living in what Paul called the Greeks, among the Greeks, not among the Hebrews. What am I talking about? The Hebrews knew what God was, sin, eternal life, heaven, hell, punishment, living righteously, creation of the world and the universe, destruction of the world and the universe. They knew all these things. To take those terms that are in the New Testament, or even quoting the Old Testament to them, would completely make sense. They get it. They know what you're talking about. But the Greeks didn't. The Greeks didn't. So to say, Jesus, who is the Messiah, they don't know what you're talking about. And today, we live in a culture where that's the case. Most people are not Christian. Even a lot of the ones who say they're Christian have no idea what that means. They don't know. So if the go-to gospel for you is just to quote a scripture reference, Well, according to Matthew, and according to John, and according to Luke, and they're going to say, who is that? I don't know what that means. How did Paul deal with the Greeks? He pointed out they're sinners. They've done wrong things. That there is a God who created everything. That he is going to enact justice for those who have disobeyed him and done bad things. And that's everyone. He started BASIC. Who is this God? He's the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And in your own heart, you know this is true, but maybe you haven't known how to explain it. That's where he went. So if someone says, well, I think when we all die, we're just all going to be nice people and we're going to live in the clouds or we're just going to be in the spirit, in the stars, in a distant galaxy, whatever they say, don't start by saying, well, that's not according to Revelation 21. They don't know what that is. They don't know what that is. So your question would be like, where do you get your info? Because my info is different than that. What's your source? Right? Well, I got that off Wikipedia. What makes that right? You with me? So you think through these things. This is important to know these things, to understand the concepts. Does everyone know all the scripture references where they could actually read the verse for everything that you know about every part of scripture so that no matter what kind of conversation you have with someone who's lost or a believer who's struggling that you know exactly where to turn to read it? No. No. But you could have notes, right? Look, the 1689 covers every major doctrine that we have. If you had a copy of that, You could flip to that and see some of the references and go to them. Here's what I think. What's that book you're looking at? (laughs) Good opportunity. Right? All right. All intro. (laughs) Time for church. (laughs) And next week, I will not change the slides. We'll begin at the same place. All right. So, where we left off last time was we were talking about the distinction between. First, we're in the intermediate state. So, let's just as a quick further review the intermediate state is that time period, not a word used in the scripture, but the time period, this time that occurs, is described in the scripture over and over. All right? So, Theologians, scholars, they call this the intermediate state. What does that mean? It means when there is a separation of the body and soul. So when you die now, currently, presently, your soul is separated from the body. The body continues to exist on earth. It decomposes. It's destroyed. Whatever happens, it is still here. Your soul goes to someplace else. You are in an intermediate state eventually you will be rejoined with that body where your resurrected body will be once again reunited with your soul forever. Forever. So we're talking about the intermediate state. Then we're talking about the distinction between the body and the soul in the intermediate state. In other words, what is going to happen to each of them in the intermediate state? And we just went through... Let me go back here before this point... All right, so we went through the body, and then we went through the soul. We talked about the two distinctions on those. We didn't talk about where they're going to go yet. We're getting to that. And then we started talking about the biblical teaching on death, because there's not a chapter on death. There's just this chapter about what happens to man when he dies. So we break down to talk about some basic points. Uh, death, physical death, death is a penal consequence of sin. We talked about that. Death, physical death, is a radical and unnatural separation of the body and soul, resulting in the decay and dissolution of the body and the nakedness of the soul. Why do we say it's unnatural? Because it's not the way God intended it. What did he intend for Adam and Eve? That they would live on. That there was not going to be a separation. It was only the result of sin that caused the death of the physical body. And eventually, the death of the body and the soul, for those who are not believers. Death, physical death is a sign and sacrament of the future eternal death of Adam's race. So, physical death today, as I just said, is a sign of what's going to eventually happen to the souls and the bodies. The sting of death has been removed for those in union with Christ. Okay. So, for believers, the sting of death is gone. We see this in the scripture the sting of death. What is that sting of death? Well, the sting of death is hell. It's separation from God. That's the sting of death. Believers will not be separated from Christ, will live on in paradise. However, we must maintain a holy balance as we approach the realities of death. We must not have, we must have, there's like a triple negative there. We must not have, or we must neither have a positive delight in the wow, I don't know how I did that. I must have been, like, distracted. So you know, here's the point. You can't either have a positive delight in death or an attitude of indifference. That's not biblical. Neither one. You can't say, well, good, come on, death, let's go right now, I want to die. And drive all crazy. Right? Stand right near the edge of the building, no safety rope, I don't need it. You know, you know what, that's, we, you don't hear, I mean, again, you don't hear this stuff preach. What's that called? <laughs> it's just called it. <laughs> good, that's good. It's suicide, yeah, that would be that. But you don't, it's called tempting God. It's saying to God, look, hey, you want me to leave? live? Then you better keep me alive, because I'm going to do whatever I can to die. That's sin. God's in control we don't we don't like to you know look just be honest in your human nature you don't want to really think god's in control you don't really want to think he's sovereign you want to think that if you do a better job with your garden you're going to grow better vegetables you don't want to think that if you don't want to think that you know if you don't that you don't have control you don't have any control if you get in a car accident or not Could you tempt God? Yeah. Have you ever done anything in your car that you can't believe you didn't get in an accident and you didn't get in an accident? Everybody say yes if you're a driver. God's in control. Well, yeah, but, you know, If I work out all the time and I eat everything perfectly that I should eat and I am really careful about making sure I get checkups so that if I have any problems, they can address it right away, then I'm not going to die. Wrong. Cardiologist, my brother's church in his 40s, died of a heart attack, was a marathon runner. Unbelievably in shape. Knew all the things. He had no symptoms whatsoever. Had just gotten a physical. Everything's perfect. Died of a heart attack. Oh, praise the Lord. Sunday school teacher, strong believer. If God wants you, you're gone. If God wants to take you, you're done. He's sovereign. We should not either, double, triple negative here, Want that to happen? Nor should we be flippant about it. We should face death with courage and a sure hope, but also with a knowledge that's a sad testament to the corruption of God's creation. That's how you should look at death. Death is sad. No matter, no matter what happens, you are saddened by a loved one's death. Why? They're not there anymore. Maybe you can't talk to them anymore. Maybe you can't ask them to forgive you for some offense that you did that you feel bad about. You never said it. Maybe you really enjoyed their company, and you are no longer going to have that. They're not here. Maybe they left family members who are struggling and having difficulties, and you can you will feel badly, especially for them. Look. In those cases, you're feeling bad for yourself and you're feeling bad for others. And that's appropriate to some extent. Don't wallow in self-pity. But what you can't do is feel bad for the person that died. Because at this point, it's too late. It's done. There's no changing. Roman Catholics, they address that very human condition that we have where we feel bad for the person that died. How'd they do it? Oh, they're in purgatory. So, hey, you can pray them out and get them into heaven. They gave them hope where there wasn't hope. This person was evil, but they were still my cousin, my brother, my son, my dad, whatever. Well, hey, no problem. If you give, light a candle, pray, get all your family to do the rest, you can actually pray them into heaven. They don't deserve it, but by the works that you do, you can get them there. That's what, they, that's what they did. No, they can't. The only person that's ever existed that can do what's necessary for their sins to be forgiven was Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ. He's it. No matter how good you are, you're not going to help your loved one make it to heaven. Wherever they go, heaven or hell, is based on who they were when they lived. Now, let's realize something right now. I've been there myself. You know somebody who's, who's probably not a believer. And Look, honestly, you can, that's all you can say. You cannot say that person was not a believer with authority. Why? Because you don't know their heart. We want to have hope that somebody who we saw as an unrepentant non-believer, maybe they were a believer but were in a state where they had fallen out of God's grace because they were sinning, and God took them. Or maybe at the very end, their heart was turned from stone to flesh, they believed, and they were accepted into heaven when they died and not sent to hell. We don't know. We don't know. The only ones that we know for sure are the ones that God tells us. Right? That's it. And by the way, very few of those. Very few. We know the rich man was in hell. Remember that? Remember that? The beggar walking with Abraham sees the rich man in hell. Has a conversation. Remember that. How about Saul? Where's Saul? David and Saul. Where's Saul? Is Saul in hell? Is Saul in heaven? We don't know. Oh, let me to hit you with a hard one. How about Judas? I know what you think. You think he's in hell. Is he? We don't know. Seems like it. We don't know. Don't ascribe hell to anyone. It's much easier for us to ascribe heaven and much more accurate. You see the fruits of a believer. You hear the testimony of a believer. That looks real. It's easy to believe that that person is actually in paradise. And we're probably right. But look, there are plenty of believers who don't have fruit. Do you know any? Probably. Plenty. Or they had fruit, and now they don't have fruit. Is that possible for a believer? Yes. It's possible. Yep. And what does God say, by the way? God says that he chastens who he loves. How much does he chasten them? He doesn't say. Is it possible that death is a chastening? Yes. Yes. Definitely. We don't know. We don't know. Don't assume you know who's in heaven and who's in hell. Yes, ma'am. Yes. But don't take it totally out of context because all believers do not stay true to God the whole time. There had to be some fruit. Assuming that they were saved at a point where they actually had time to have fruit. The thief on the cross had no time to produce fruit. right? Literally, probably an hour, he was alive before he was killed on the cross. No fruit. Is he an exception in some ways? (laughs) Yes. But notice that his belief did not involve him making a statement of faith like we expect, did it? He just recognized Jesus Christ for who he was and told another guy, also on a cross. That was the sign of the belief that was true in his heart. Is it normal? No. The thief on the cross wasn't the normal, but it's still true. It's still true. How long had he believed? We don't even know that. Had that thief believed for a while? And Christ just acknowledged it when he made that statement? Or did that thief's heart turn right there on the cross? And he made that profession right at that moment. Well, see, that's what our hope is, isn't it? That those that we know who have died that they had a thief-on-the-cross experience. At the very end, their heart was changed, and they believed. Is it possible for them to have that belief without even uttering it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, you know, (laughs) I tend to have a problem, as you've heard me say before, with a lot of christian movies because they give you an unrealistic view of how life actually is. Generally, everything goes really well for believers who repent. And they get everything they want and everything they ever desired, whether it was a truck, the job, the whatever, right? I mean, literally there's a movie with that. But there was also a scene in one of those movies, I don't want to say the movie. There was a scene in one of those movies where this guy was a avowed atheist. Avowed atheist. He's in a car accident. Believers witness it, rush over to him. He had heard the gospel, he knew the gospel. In fact, he taught against the gospel, said God wasn't real. But in the last moments of his life, his heart changed. From stone to flesh, he believed on Christ and he died. Now, you know what they're doing there. You say, well, that's, I don't know if that's realistic. Well, it's—it's it's, maybe it's a little over, overly dramatic, but isn't that the cross experience? Isn't that what the thief experienced on the cross? That as far as we know, in the final, final moments of his life, the Holy Spirit intervened and changed him, and he believed. That's our hope. But it doesn't change reality. Because God tells us the reality, and we have to face it with courage. Death is not fun. It's sad. It's not natural. It's bad. But it's still real. Unless Christ returns, we're not going to avoid it. Every one of us here is going to die. We don't know when, we don't know how. But unless Christ returns, before you die, you will die. For the believer, think about this, death is the last and final step of our sanctification. What is sanctification? When we refer to us being more sanctified or going through a process of sanctification, what are we talking about? We're talking about us being more set aside for service by Christ. Look, Sanctifying something is to set it aside for God. What do we call that upstairs? Well, it's hard for us not to call it something else. It starts with an A and a U and a T, and and the end is torium. But if we don't use that term, we call it the sanctuary. Why? Because it's a place set aside for worshiping God. That's why we call it that. And we ourselves and our walk through life as believers are in a process of sanctification. What does that mean? We are becoming more and more like Christ. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing. And God brings things and allows things to happen that will actually help us to become more like him. Now for some, they learn and become more sanctified in little steps without a lot of turmoil. And for others, not so much. It takes turmoil. Pain. Look, if you're honest, you recognize that you've been through pain. You've had struggles, difficulties, things that you don't like that you had to do or you had to deal with. God's purpose in all of that is to have you become more readily usable by him. Can God use the worst Christian there is? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But how would you be more effective in your service for God? By being more like Christ. That's it. It's simple. For a believer, the last step of your sanctification is death. After that, you're sanctified. You're You're done. However far you got. Brantz, what's the scale on sanctification? Is it 0 to 100? Is it 0 to 1,000? I can't remember. There isn't a scale. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, no matter where you were, you were at, you know, it's, let's say it's 1 to 100. And you said, well, I think I was at, like, 6. And God's like, no, you were at 12. When you're dead, you're 100. That's encouraging. Look, you don't have to be John Calvin, John MacArthur, Billy Graham, name somebody that you think is, was a strong believer. Whoever, fill in the blanks. Bev Steimer, whatever it is. You don't have to be that person. God can use you where you're at, continue to grow closer to him, make it an effort to grow closer to him, but wherever you end, wherever death you are, when death comes, that's the final step. Your belief will now be rewarded... You will no longer live by faith, you will live by sight. From then on, you will live by sight, no longer by faith. Is that a blessing? That's a blessing. You're not going to wonder anymore. You're going to see. For the unbeliever, they need answers. They, They need answers. Death will come to them as it does to all. All men have questions about what happens after death. Where do they get their answers, and if not from the Bible, how can they trust them? Right? I think we all go to this planet, like I said a minute ago. I think we all go to the, you know, we're reincarnated. We come back as something else. There's lots of answers. Where did they get that? Where did that come from? Well, it was written on a stone tablet in a Buddhist monastery, in Thailand. Does that make it real? Lots of people in history have said lots of things that weren't true. Right? That's a good question for an unbeliever. Look, if you're around somebody who's an unbeliever, when somebody that you mutually know has died, no matter what the relation is, friend, coworker, acquaintance, whatever, That could be an opportunity. I'm not saying you go try to, you know, in their grief, hit them hard with the Romans road. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that if you're compassionate, they may open up to you. Because they are thinking about death. They're thinking about it. Maybe they're not thinking about it for themselves, but they are thinking about death. And honestly, they have questions. If the naturalism and materialism taught in our schools and foisted upon us by our culture is really right, why does death still bother man so much? If death is just a part of the natural order, why is it so horrible to him? Think about that. The world says, uh, death is just, have you heard this? Death is just part of life. It's just normal. It's natural. Have you heard that? Have you said that? Death is not natural. It's unnatural. God never intended for us to die physically. We die because of the fall. So, is it going to happen? Yes. Can it be avoided? No. Is it okay? Not really. As believers, we shouldn't fear it. Because we know. But the unbeliever doesn't. And a lot of them are scared. Now if what the pop culture has taught them, if what the schools have taught them about evolution and all those things is true, they shouldn't fear it, should they? Because they're just going to cease to exist. That's what it teaches them. But man doesn't think that. He still fears it. Why? Because he knows in his heart that there is a God. That's why. Only with the understanding that death is a punishment, the penal consequences of evil and a sign of damnation, does death and our fear of it make sense. Human wisdom and feelings about death don't make sense. Think about that. If you know in your heart that there's going to be a punishment for the bad things you did, then your fear of death makes sense. You're afraid of it. If you think you're going to cease to exist, look, if people really lived according to how they tell them that the reality is of who you are and what's going to happen at death, why is there any restraint whatsoever? Why are people doing whatever they want to do to whoever they want to do it to, taking whatever they want, living however they want with no restraints? Because if they die, they just cease to exist anyway. What are they afraid of? The reason they have restraint is because they are afraid. They're not sure. You can be. You should be. You have the answer for them. That's important. That's important. The only satisfactory intellectual basis for understanding death is in Christianity. And if Christianity is true, all men must deal with its teachings and their own eternal destination. See. When you look at these different explanations of death and then how it's affecting man and what man thinks, the only explanation is what's true in Christianity. It doesn't make sense beyond that. Man has a conflict because he knows that those other things, I'm going to be reincarnated they don't believe it. Oh, they try to delude themselves. Right until the moment of death when they're screaming hysterically that they're going to die and they don't know what's going to happen. They've lost their, their belief that they're going to be reincarnated. Because it's real now. It's no longer a philosophy. It's no longer just some question that we're talking about that doesn't really matter. It matters. Here we are. Death, for the unbeliever, is the worst possible unknown that they ever face. It is nothing else in their lives compares to death. Nothing. All right, we're going to stop there because now we're going to talk about the distinction between the righteous and the wicked in the intermediate state. In other words, we're going to talk about what happens to the righteous and what happens to the wicked. Now, you could also say this would be what happens to the believer and what happens to the unbeliever. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to talk about. So now we've talked about the distinction between the body and the soul in this intermediate state. Now we're going to talk about what happens to the soul of the righteous and what happens to the soul of the wicked. Now, we've already touched on them, haven't we? Right? Heaven, hell, we've touched on them. Let's look at what the scripture says about this so that we can make sure that our understanding is based on the truth of the Bible, not what the culture says. Okay? And we're going to pick that up next week. Let's close in a word of prayer.